Hi, this is Sam from Boston, Massachusetts. Hi, this is Crystal. And you're listening to the Girls Gone Wad podcast. Girls Gone Wad podcast with Joy and Claire. With Joy and Claire. They are so fetch. You're listening to Girls Gone Wad. This is Joy. This is episode 171. This episode is brought to you by the Wad Rod. W-O-D-R-O-D. You can enter discount code G-G-W to get a discount on the Wad Rod. I praise this thing all the time. It helps your calluses way better than shaving off your calluses. And we met them at the CrossFit Games, and I'm a huge fan of them. So please support Wad Rod and support the podcast at the same time. And this week we are talking all about nutrition. We have Laura... Ligos, did I say your name right? Um, it's Ligos. Ligos! You <laughs> <laughs> had a 50-50 chance. <laughs> and Sarah Pierce is back on the podcast. We wanted to have more of a panel discussion this week for a number of reasons. We've been working with Sarah since the summer, and we'll go into that as far as what's been going on and how that really blew up with our listeners and working with Sarah, which is so cool. And then Laura approached us before the games, and we met her, Claire met her at the games to work with Inside Tracker, and I went through that whole process of getting my blood work done. And so I think it would be a really cool discussion to have that we can talk all about both sides of uh, doing nutrition, but also um, how important it is to kind of know your individual body type and your individual blood work. So I'm really excited for this discussion. So welcome, you guys. Thanks. So first of all, let's get a quick update. Sarah, how, how's the macro group going? Are they, are they uh, keeping you on your toes? Yes, it's been really awesome. Um, I've managed to get to pretty much every single person that reached out to me from our last podcast um, and just seen some really awesome successes. I've kind of been posting them on Instagram um, and just it's been really awesome just seeing like the uh, steps that people have been taking, just even just changing really small things about their diet and their lifestyle to make themselves more healthy and communicating with them on a daily basis has been really cool. So, and specifically, I guess how many people have you been working with? I remember, um, I remember you said you had like 200 emails. <laughs> it ended up being, I think all totaled like 350 emails. <laughs> um, and I ended up getting to every single person, not every single person signed on for various reasons, just kind of either changing their mind or, you know, they, um, didn't want to wait or not that the wait list was that long or there were like financial reasons. But I, um, at this point probably have about like a hundred girls gone wad clients right now. So it's pretty cool. (laughs) I know it's really awesome. All right. And Laura, give us a little intro of how, uh, you and I have been working together specifically. Uh, you work for inside tracker, correct? Yes. Yes. And you have your Um, own, you have your own (laughs) podcast. Um, yeah, we've kind of been on a hiatus because I didn't listen to my own advice and bit off more than I can chew with everything that I do. So uh, I cut back on that for a little <laughs> while. But um, I'm a dietitian and I'm kind of known as more of a rebel in our community because I'm way more progressive than the average dietitian. So yeah, I work for Inside Tracker. We're a blood analysis company. It's all about personalized nutrition and health, um, which is really near and dear to my heart because I've worked with so many clients in the past in my own private practice, and there's no one-size-fits-all approach, and so it's really been fun to, um, I guess maybe I say the word fun around blood a lot, and people just stare at me like I'm crazy, Um, (laughs) but it's fun to look at people's blood 
solid work and give them more personalized approach than just shooting in the dark. And what makes it different yes. too from going to your doctor and getting blood work done? Not to knock doctors because there's many good ones out there and I've worked with many in the past and present and uh, most doctors are looking for disease markers so most doctors you go to if you go to at all you go because you're sick and something's wrong um, and so we take more of a prevention stance we want you to take control of your health before it becomes a problem um, and so we're more there to help you optimize your blood work and give you more insight into how the nutrients and hormones are functioning in your body and what you can do about it and all of our biomarkers you basically can affect through diet and lifestyle and that's the whole point of what we do and that's kind of what I was doing before Insight Tracker but now I actually have the blood work to make it even more potent. Yeah so when I first heard about it I gotta say I was a little skeptical thinking okay is this just another fad of trying to get athletes in the door of trying you know what I mean like I and no no offense or anything but there's so much out there that I was like okay what's the what's the deal here why how is this any different from just getting blood work done at your doctor and I decided to go through with it. Obviously, I asked you a lot of questions before I went through with it. And, <laughs> and I think the biggest thing for me was, you know, working with Sarah over the past four months. And then you kind of just go, all right, what else can I do to get more information? I love what Sarah always says about data. Like everything is about data for your own body. And so that's kind of what it came down to for me was, oh, I'm just getting more data. Like there's really, there's no hidden agenda about it. It's just like, it's pure data. They say you can't manage what you don't measure. And a lot of us, especially in the CrossFit community, because I too CrossFit, and I find that most of us are pretty healthy and health conscious. And so we avoid the doctor like the plague because we think that they're bad news bears. Uh, and so we don't go unless something's wrong. And so it kind of gives the CrossFitter or the, the health conscious a way to measure and manage everything without um, needing to go just because you're sick and need to make a change at the last minute. So the nice thing is after the results, I got to talk to you for quite a bit about what everything meant in my blood work. Um, and I was able to also send that to Sarah. It's really kind of a cool thing too, to, to have everyone working together. And really this is just something for me that as I progress more in my fitness journey, that it's just really fun for me to know these things. So there's not like an end goal. I think it's just an ongoing journey of me wanting to feel my best. Um, so then Laura and I and, and Sarah, we've just been kind of texting back and forth about certain topics. And so I really kind of want to sh start with, uh, let's start with sugar. Let's just go right to the sugar topic. Um, <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing we get with, uh, Sarah, you probably notice it and maybe you guys can, whoever wants to go first, but um, I'll hear a lot of comments about like, oh, I'm so addicted to sugar and how can I give up sugar? And a couple weeks, uh, a couple episodes ago, we we're answering a question with Julie Bauer where someone was like, I'm just as addicted to airheads. And I, you know, like that whole excuse piece of, oh, well, my body's just addicted. Talk about that. I'll go first. Uh, so just <laughs> kind of talking about um, sugar for me is, has been interesting with, especially all the people that have been calling in or emailing in to talk to me about um, diet and nutrition, even just people that aren't really interested in working with me. They just have questions. Um, the biggest eye-opener for them has really been how much um, kind of simple sugars are necessary for the human body when it comes to, like, high-intensity hard workouts, um, just properly fueling um, your training and implementing those carbohydrates into your diet in the proper dosing and around the proper time. Um, and then 
other than that, there really is no need for sugar in the diet. Um, and what happens is kind of just like with anything else, you eat something enough, um, often enough, your body is going to adapt and sometimes even crave it. So it's something where I just kind of encourage my clients, if you're going to have um, something sugary, something sweet, like a treat, just have it kind of around your workout so that you know, at least in that case, that you are utilizing the carbohydrates in a good way um, versus kind of allowing them to be in other parts of your day or on rest days, things like that, where they're not as beneficial to you. And Laura, and by the way, you guys don't have to agree. I love debate. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, we are in election season. I'm oh, sorry. God. That's another Go ahead. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, sugar is probably one of the, aside from gut health and poop, which we can get to later. Uh, yeah. Biggest thing that comes up in with everyone that I talk to, and it in the CrossFit community lately, it's been popping up. I mean, there's so many things about Pop Tarts and donuts, and it literally makes me cringe because, yes, while you can, obviously, if you're going to do it around a workout, it's going to be the best time to do it. But I was reading, I'm an Uber nerd, so I was reading, I believe the book's called The End of Overeating, and research that has been done on the addiction or the craving of sugar is unreal. I mean, the fact that like every work office space has some type of candy, people can't say no to it. I mean, people literally, all my clients are like, I can't say no to the, the cookie jar at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I'm like, well, yeah, no crap, because it's staring you right in the face and you're ready for more sugar. Um, and they show that your, um, your brain chemistry can change from the amount of sugar that you consume. So you actually do become addicted. The problem is, is that it's not like heroin or some other drug where you're going to overdose and head to the hospital right away. What's going to happen over time is it's going to cause some type of disease uh, long term. So um, it's one of those things where it's hard to show people in the short term that it's causing any issue. But in the long term, it has been known to obviously lead to diabetes and kidney disease. And I've worked in a hospital and I've seen the end result and I don't wish that upon anyone. I don't know that it's necessarily uh, addiction. I, I think addiction is a strong word, right? Because when we think of addiction, we think of like uh, being addicted to drugs or alcohol or uh, whatever it might be. So maybe addiction is the wrong word for it, but they have shown that your brain chemistry can change based on what you're eating and your gut health can change. So the, the there's a whole other topic. I could talk about the microbiome and the gut for ages and ages, um, but what you eat can also determine what your microbiome is in your gut and there's more bacteria in your body than there are cells and so if you're eating the food that's not cooperating with your body um, it can have a huge impact on your overall health and health starts in the gut so it's not meant to scare people that they can't have sugar but it's really a question of okay is it worth the six-pack now versus the diabetes later I mean you can have both you can have your cake and eat it too but maybe it shouldn't be cake <laughs> people come at the like kind of sugar addiction thing from what's the movie like sugar or something what's that movie that just came out recently anyway you're talking about yeah yeah basically name. like it, sh it shows a diagram of like somebody taking heroin and somebody eating sugar and like it lights up the same parts of the brain and that's where a lot of I think that's where a lot of people come from with that of like oh it, it produces the same effect in your actually you know, in your brain in the pleasure centers but that doesn't necessarily mean that like you're going to go through sugar withdrawal per se um not necessarily some people do like if i've had people take out sugar they will get a detoxing type effect where they just 
start getting the shakes or headaches or feel like they've got flu symptoms. Um, but it's not the type of withdrawal that you would get from a, a drug. Just like the same way that over, you can't really overdose. Like you overdosing will cause obviously increase in blood sugar. And over time that could cause some type of like diabetic shock for those who obviously can't handle it. Um, but it's more that long-term effect of sugar that is the problem. It's not necessarily that one-off addiction. And I think kind of Joy was saying this earlier is like people like to use that excuse of, oh, I'm just addicted or I have a sweet tooth or I have to have sugar or else I'm going to crash at 3 p.m. And chances are if you actually cut out sugar and start eating healthy sources of fat, protein, and carbs, you're going to be all right and you're not going to crash at 2 p.m. So my question for both of you then is how much is an okay amount is there such a thing as a moderate amount of sugar? Honestly, like I said, if there's a time to eat it, it's in that kind of post-workout window. Um, I have my clients intake, the ones who are very competitive and do a lot of damage to their body with their exercise. Da- by damage, I mean a lot of um, muscular damage to their body. They do a lot of high-intensity work, a lot of weightlifting um, to just kind of get their glucose levels back up to normal quickly. I have them eat just anywhere from like 30 to 40 grams, depending on the person in that kind of post-workout window. But it's never like, I'm not telling them to like drink a can of soda or eat a Pop-Tart or have some jelly beans. Like they're, they're usually consuming something like Vitargo or something that is like a simple sugar, but is not a simple carbohydrate, but is not just straight sugar from a C&H box. Like um, just kind of trying to get either maltodextrin or dextrose or something um, that's not really terrible on the gut and just trying to, um, again, get their glucose levels back up and or their glycogen levels back up and help them recover better so that they're not sore the next day after a really high intensity workout so that they continue just going back into the gym. But other than that, I tell people to stay away from it entirely. I mean, I encourage fruit consumption because of the phytonutrients and the fiber um, and, and glucose is it's processed a little bit different in the body. Um, fructose is the sugar from fruit. So I encourage people to eat fruit, but probably no more than two or three times a day. I don't encourage people to eat fruit at every meal. So, and again, it's really dependent on the person too. Like I'll have clients that, um, and this is kind of what I do that again, maybe sets me apart a little bit. I track people as they go in terms of, um, how they respond to, their macronutrient balance, how they respond to carbohydrates in their diet, how they respond to high protein versus lower protein, high fat versus lower fat, and just constantly augment to get them to a point where their body is in a better kind of level of homeostasis. I mean, I work, I guess, a little different with people, but I go based on, I'm really big into habit formation and how you're going. I'm definitely much more for the long-term sustainability. So you know, I do work with a lot of CrossFit athletes, but I probably the majority of who I work with are people who just want to be healthy, happy and live a long life. And um, so there's two type of people that I find there's those who are really good when they abstain from something and there's really good when people can moderate. So for me, if I tell myself I can't have chocolate, then I all I want is chocolate. And so I will literally just have a whole bar of chocolate. Whereas if I tell myself, oh, hey, I can have a piece of chocolate in the middle of the week and not worry about it. I'm fine. Whereas I have people who they're much better off just not having it all not thinking about it never having it um so it's really hard to say obviously the answer is no no processed sugar or refined sugar is a good thing we've found i mean there's hundreds of studies out there showing that it's not good for our health but you know if you're 
you also have to live your life and you also have to enjoy your life. And so if it's not harming you to the point of disease or gut imbalance or um, performance troubles, then, you know, a piece of chocolate here and there is not the end of the world. But if that's all you're relying on, then time to cut it out. So uh, let's go to how many meals a day we should be eating. Is that also something that's different for each person? Let's start with Sarah. Honestly, (laughs) again, it's dependent on the person. Um, in terms of meal frequency, but there have been many studies that have proven that there is no difference in your metabolism between eating three meals and eating six meals a day if caloric intake is the same. So for my clients, it's kind of like I want them to be the most successful with a healthy eating habit and lifestyle, and I would rather that they eat the number of meals that works for them and their schedule than trying to force in a bunch of meals or trying to restrict themselves to only eating three meals a day. It's literally pretty much the same. Again, multiple studies have compared eating many smaller versus fewer larger meals, and there's really no significant effect on metabolic rate or even total amount of fat loss or muscle building, really anything. So it's, again, something that I don't focus on with people. I uh, I don't buy into the six meals a day boost your metabolism myth. It's just not factual. So I just have people, again, eat eat when they're hungry and don't overeat. Eat slowly, make sure that you're enjoying your food and, and eat until you're not hungry anymore and then stop. Which is a really hard thing for people to do. and Especially if they eat too fast. Yeah, well, let's <laughs> talk about that too. Let's go right into that with Laura because Laura and I had this discussion when we were going through my blood results that I was having some massive digestive issues and I was having stomach aches and cramps and you name it. And she said, well... Tell me about when you're eating and how you're eating and tell me the environment. And I was like, well, yeah, I kind of rush through the morning. I rush through lunch and I'm at work. And she's like, well, do you have any issues at night? And I didn't. And she said, well, I know you probably know where I'm going with this. And I was like, I actually don't. I just really (laughs) never thought of how much it matters to do the practice of honoring your food and sitting down and really like telling your body hey, we're going to eat now. So Laura, can you talk a little bit more about that? And you can use me as an example if you want. Sure. Well, so many of us, I mean, there's that whole, uh, I think there's an article coming out that I gave something for in Shape or Health Magazine, neither here nor there, but it's all about mindful eating. And so many of us are so busy. I mean, if you think, you know, think about where you were, right? It was like, just get food in. I have to get X amount of calories. And so I have to eat it. And I'm also going to be looking at my phone and be on my computer. I'm going to check on the news and Facebook and everything else that we're inundated with 24 seven. I mean, if you think about the best meal you've ever had, chances are it's not in front of your computer or at your desk. Chances are it's at a nice restaurant and you're enjoying the company. You're not on your phone. You're just listening to the person, talking to the person and enjoying the smells, sounds, sights, everything around you. Um, and so, so many of us have gotten away from that. And so, you know, just like Sarah was saying, there is no hard and fast rule of how many meals we need, but we need to be more conscious of the meals that we eat. So I'm very much the person who's like qual- quality over quantity. And that's like an all aspects of my life. And I think that if we can focus on a meal and actually be there and be mindful, like turn our phones off, turn the computer off, stop looking at their Facebook feed and just focus on your meal for even five, 10 minutes, you're going to be so much more 
so much happier, um, not just because you're going to feel better, but because you're going to have enjoyed it and remembered what you ate, um, at least for the time being. Um, most people don't chew enough. Uh, I think I probably asked you this, Joy. I was yeah. like, how much? How many times do you chew your food? And you're like, ha, chew? <laughs> and that's, you know, like, that's normal. And most people look at me and they're like, I don't know, like once or twice, you know, like it's, it's not a big deal. Whereas, you know, if you were to eat a nice steak dinner out, chances are you would chew it a little more because you'd have to. Um, and so when I'm talking to people, clients about how many meals they're having a day, you know, those meals need to be quality meals and you need to be sitting down. You need to not be in the car. You need to not be in front of your TV. Obviously, I understand that people have to work and the culture that we live in is it's like work, 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 don't sleep, just keep going, power through. But chances are, if you're not going to slow down now, you're going to have to slow down later. Um, and so chewing your food is really important. Enjoying your meal is important. Um, turning off all distractions, um, and what's funny is I don't want to open this can of worms, but just to kind of give perspective when a lot of times when we talk to like eating disorder clients who, who have trouble eating, actually giving them distractions is how they will eat more. If you think about someone who does not have an eating disorder, we probably eat more too because we're so distracted that we can't understand what we're eating and we're not getting, we're either not chewing it and digesting it properly and or we're eating too much because we're just not in tune with our body. And when you eat, before you eat, you should be hungry, and after you eat, you should be not hungry. Those are the two feelings you should have. They should not be boredom and sadness and happiness and anxiety versus fullness and hating yourself and guilt and everything, all these other emotions that surround meals. You know, mealtime yeah. should be hungry, not hungry. I saw a uh, quote somewhere along the lines in the past year that was saying that food is there to nourish us and feed us and make us feel full. Um, and to satisfy hunger, not to quench an emotion. Absolutely. It's to nourish our bodies, period. It's not to say, hey, I'm going to go have these cookies because I'm feeling depressed, or I'm going to go have this pint of ice cream because I'm really sad, and, oh, I just broke up with my boyfriend, and all the memes that go out with, like, oh, I'm going to drown in ice cream, which, yeah, that's really funny sometimes, but I think that's kind of the the culture, is that food is a comfort to us, and that's kind of, it's a slippery slope. It's the, like, rest and digest response yes. that you kind of mentioned talking about is just it's literally that your digestion completely shuts down when you're in flight or fight fight or flight whatever you want to call it and people just don't realize that daily on a daily basis in the world that they're living they're having a stress response and that influences their digestion and metabolism and there's a whole field of eating psychology because of it so it's like there I have clients that will that are literally eating the correct amount of food for them healthy meals healthy food enough fiber good protein good fats veggies and they're still retaining a bunch of body fat because they're literally stressing out about what they're eating all day every day and I think that was a huge uh revelation for me Laura, the, when we had that discussion that I know it sounds so simple. That is just when it clicked for me of, wow, we really do need to sit down and make sure that we're telling our bodies that this is what we're doing now. We're eating and we're respecting this movement. It's almost like, okay, now you're warming up to prepare to go work out. You really want to make sure that you're setting the environment to eat, to nourish your body. And that's made a huge, huge improvement. So I, I can't stress that enough. I think the rest and digest versus fight or flight. And what do you guys both have to say about the timing of, I've heard some, some information floating around about some people like have their protein shakes, like as they're running out the door, you know, to get in their car right after their workout, because they got to get it in with that window. 
But then there's also some conflicting information that I've read about your body's still kind of in fight or flight, depending on how hard of a workout you were in, that your digestion might get a little upset where people have issues with, like, downing protein shakes. I was just going to say that's a, also a huge topic up for debate. And um, I think my I always like to – I'm a big picture kind of person, and so I always like to take a step back and, and figure out what the person's goals are. I mean, yes, if you're a top athlete, chances are there's no way that you can eat enough food in the form of – meat of meat vegetables and all those good healthy real foods because you're working out five to six hours a day and you're burning so many calories you know the average crossfitter that i work with an athlete who's a games level they're working out like five hours a week they're also coaching x amount of classes per week so they physically never have that time to sit down and eat probably the five meals that they could benefit from whereas you know if you're someone who um has a nine to five and you have kids and and your life's a little different and fitness is more just for health and not necessarily for performance i always ask what are you doing the other 23 hours of the day you know if you're not eating well the rest of the meals what's that protein shake going to do for you chances are it's stressing out your body more and we actually see with the blood work i can almost pinpoint when someone is on too many supplements and too much protein powder because their liver enzymes will be through the roof they come off the protein powder and they shoot right back down and so you know if you're stressing your body out because you think you need that protein shake then you know obviously this will maybe make protein companies mad but you know there's a time and a place for it and if you're not looking at the rest of your meal and the rest of your life um, outside of that protein shake chances are that you're not ready for it and there has been some research showing that like if you work out later in the day you might not necessarily need that protein powder because you've already consumed enough protein throughout the day if you've had like breakfast and lunch to actually refuel and restore your your muscle glycogen stores um, obviously it's just once again, dependent on the person. So it's always a one-off situation where you might really benefit from it. But I make sure that my clients eat, try to eat within an hour to 90 minutes after they're done working out. It doesn't have to be a shake. It doesn't have to be progenics with some sugary carbs. It can be whatever works best for them. Um, and that's kind of only found over time because some people do do really well with protein shakes and um, that fast digestibility of the whey protein is not found in any other food. So for some people, it does work really well. Some others, it doesn't. But I just find that in general, people stay more motivated to exercise when they can refuel glycogen with carbohydrates. Even if it's complex carbohydrates, that's fine with me. But people just will end up so sore and so just kind of feeling low energy that they don't want to go back to the gym. And they start to get into this, these kind of levels of like overtraining and adrenal fatigue because they're training all the time and they're not recovering with proper nutrition. Maybe they're recovering well with sleep and they're recovering well with stretching and they're not super stressed in any other part of their life, but because they're not refueling their bodies and they're just like eating a cliff bar when they're done working out or whatever, it's not doing enough for them. And so they're actually seeing a lot of negative results just because they're missing those nutrients after they work out. So Again, totally different for each person, but in general, that's what I kind of find with people that do high-intensity exercise, because if I could, I would stop a lot of people from doing CrossFit, because it's it's a great sport. It's done a lot for the fitness industry, but it is very damaging to, to the wrong people, to people that 
really don't do well with high intensity exercise. I love that you brought that up, Sarah. So now let's talk about how important it is to recognize creating balance in your life and to really know that more isn't always better (laughs) and that less is sometimes more. Can you guys just address that a little bit? I, I agree with Sarah on this. Like I, not only do I see it just physically with people and them talking to me, you can see it in people's blood work. And I hate to keep bringing out the blood work, but it's to no, me. It's I so think cool. it's really important. Go ahead and go ahead and geek out about it. <laughs> um, we see we see it all the time, and I can te- almost tell a CrossFitter without knowing that they CrossFit purely based on their blood because of things that I'm seeing. Um, for men especially, you'll see a very high creatine kinase and know that's not affected by you taking creatine. It's affected by um, muscle damage because of high intensity and high um, high weights. And so you won't really see it much in an endurance athlete unless, of course, they're adding weights to their routine and not able to handle it or they're running a lot of um, downhill. But in a CrossFitter, you'll see the creatine kinase spike Right with that, you'll see liver enzyme spike, um, and your liver is your detoxifier, so it has to detoxify after after a workout. And if you're consistently keeping that high, you're pushing yourself at risk for injury, and that's just the tipping point. I mean, there's a lot of hormonal damage and um, nutrient damage that can be done from over-exercising, and to top it off, most people, I mean, the majority of people, this isn't your job to work out. You know, your job is to do everything else that you have to do in a day, and then you go and do high-intensity workout, and your body is just done. And if you're a high responder to exercise, which a lot of people are, and those are the people who are getting sore, those are the people who are getting injured. And it's really good to know your body. Like some people just can't handle five days a week. Some people do really well with two days a week of high intensity and the rest just, uh, you know, easy movement, walking, running, swimming, biking, you know, mixing it up. And I, I understand because I CrossFit just like you guys. And it's, there should be like a CrossFit addiction out there because <laughs> once once you do one wad, then you're like, well, what's tomorrow? Okay, I have to do tomorrow's. Oh, and my friend's going? Okay, I have to go. Oh my God. And now I can do a run, one rep max. I have to go do that. And it's like, it's a slippery slope of you know that you're sore and you know that you're tired and you know that you need to recover, but your mind's like, yeah, but just one more wad this week. And it's so it's like both mental and physical. And I think it goes back to the whole like, unsure of what you're eating at certain points we're just so out of tune with ourselves because I think a lot of it has to do maybe it's me just overanalyzing social media but social media is like the highlight reel of everyone's life and so everyone wants to show their highlight reel and who doesn't you know and I I praise people for doing that but at the same time we have to recognize that everyone has bad days and everyone needs rest days and you know even the top athletes are taking rest days you know and they can do so more a little bit more liberally and just when they need it not every week because that's their job and they can sleep 10 hours per night and they can feed themselves because that's their job to do that. Whereas the rest of us, it's not our job to work out. It's our job to be healthy and fit and take care of our bodies, but not completely burn ourselves out, which I'm seeing a lot of. And it makes me sad because I love, I love CrossFit. I love everything about it, but we, we abuse it. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I just was talking to Sarah about this too, is that talking to her about like, oh, I've been having trouble with rest days. She's like, okay, you need to back off with a few things and gave you some recommendations, basically backing off. And I think that I agree with you, Laura, that social media has really given us that culture of like more, more, more. We have to do as much as we can. And then I also want you guys to touch upon, this has so much to do too with people working off what they ate as opposed to using a workout as like an enjoyment and being healthy. It's like, well, if I 
and this was a huge shift for me when I started macro counting was like just being in checks and balances with your diet, regardless of what you're doing as and with exercise. Whereas before I really used exercise to punish myself for what I ate. I want to hold on. I want to jump into and go a little off script because I want to ask sort of a follow up question to what you guys were just talking about with like finding a balance and, um, you know, not everybody needs to be doing this like five days a week workout. And this sort of is like coming from a selfish, like, like, tell me what to do. But um, I know that I've explained this to anyone who will listen in the last few weeks. When you are in that situation where you have a very hectic life, you're rarely, if ever, making it to the gym. It's like outside of your capacity to really be meaningfully meal planning and still like maintain your quality of life like what is the kind of hierarchy of needs that you would recommend of like okay if you if like you are down to the nuts and bolts of your capacity to take care of yourself like what is the what should the main would you suggest the main focus to be if you're completely stressed out and there's no other option like the gym is your relief I recommend going but not pushing to intensity if however you can find stress relief outside of the gym. Um, sometimes that's the most beneficial because so many of us have a tr- trouble walking through the CrossFit door or our gym door and not pushing ourselves because we get wrapped up in it all. So it's really dependent on the person. That's how I find it. It's dependent on the person because some people, it's just beneficial to go. It's like it's like cheers, right? You go and everybody knows your name, so it's a really beneficial place for you to be. Um, but perhaps backing off intensity and just hopping on a rower and rowing really lightly and just being there. I think like physical activity of any kind that's in moderation is obviously pretty much essential for every person. But in terms of a hierarchy, I would say that good nutrition and sleep fall far ahead of that. Did necessarily. you hear that, everyone? Did you hear that, <laughs> You can't necessarily reach your goals um, if you have them of whatever it is, competing, muscle gain, fat loss, without exercise, but the exercise doesn't have to be insane. Like, my biggest issue, these workouts, like, that are very excessive and overly intense, they stimulate, like, markedly acute cortisol responses, And that's seriously a problem for people who are already under a lot of stress or they have high inflammation in their bodies. And so you're honestly like making yourself worse. Like I will see people who can literally affect their T4 and T3 levels because of their overtraining, which is crazy that you can affect your body that much just by doing too much exercise or excessive training and inadequate rest. And it's like you're breaking your muscle down. You're not giving it time to fully recover you're inc- you're increasing inflammation and fat storage because you have all these stress hormones and my problem is like it's always about the culture of the gym that you're at like i have i owned two gyms for 7 years two crossfit gyms i've been probably to over 200 crossfit gyms physically like visited them and worked out in them with my travels and just doing different things and i've noticed that poorly run gyms just don't pay attention to a person's limitations and they just try to push everyone to go harder no matter what and I think that's like the mentality sometimes that the general population of CrossFitters breeds because they see these elite athletes as the ideal and where they want to get to and they don't understand that often it's a combination of genetics um, devoting their entire life to training and even in some cases performance enhancers so it's like not a fair idol to have as as a person that's just trying to be healthy and and fit it's just it's hard and I struggle with that daily with people 
is just trying to get them to understand that you can't train like Rich Froning or Brooke Entz or any of those athletes if you don't have the genetics for it and you don't have the lifestyle for it. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, too, and it goes along with what Laura was saying, too, about social media and how we compare ourselves to these elite athletes. And we can because we have the accessibility now to see exactly what they're doing day by day when they are doing that as a profession. And it would be like me saying, well, I'm going to go, I need to compare myself and do what an Olympic athlete is doing because that's what they're doing. And it's like, no, I work a nine-to-five job. And I do all these other Mm -hmm. things in my life. I'm just putting more stress on my body. So I like that you also said, Sarah, that that sleep and food are way above exercise. Because um, I've just been reading a lot, too, of Marxist and stuff. So maybe I'm kind of drinking the Marxist and Kool-Aid of how (laughs) we really need to make sure that we're doing, that we're not putting our bodies in fight or flight constantly. Uh, Okay, so let's move on to a quick question about intermittent fasting and how you guys feel about that. That and keto seems to be like a pretty big buzzword these days, so let's hear your perspective. Well, this is my favorite answer to everything. It depends. (laughs) Um, I mean, there's like, you know, obviously you can find anything on Google, but there's been a lot of the research showing that intermittent fasting can help um, certain people with metabolic function and hormone function. Those people tend to be males. And so it's not right for everyone. And um, some people naturally fast, intermittent fast without realizing it. I mean, some people stop eating at 8 p.m. and don't eat again until 8 a.m., which has been shown to be a good source of fasting for people. So I don't ever outwardly recommend it because I think it can be abused. I think that people then get obsessive of when I can and can't eat. And between the hours of noon and 8 p.m., I'm going to eat everything that I can possibly stuff in my face, which is then a whole nother issue. And so I don't have a strong opinion on it either way, but I would say it's not for the majority of people. I found that, like she said, it works for some and doesn't for others. I found that with some people, it reduces insulin resistance, it lowers their blood sugar and fasting insulin levels, it causes weight loss, it helps with brain function, and I've seen it happen, like helps with HGH. Again, that is true um, that it is mostly with males, this, that side of it. Um, but so, cel- I mean, cellular repair ha- happens when you're fasted. So autophagy where your cells digest and they remove old and dysfunctional proteins that build up inside of them. That's, that happens when you're fasting. And so I don't know, I feel like I just encourage my clients not to eat till midnight and then wake up and eat at seven. It's kind of like, yeah, stop eating after, you know, you eat your dinner around a reasonable hour, like six thirty or seven. And then, you know, your breakfast should be, Um, Not when you're, you know, waking, you're stuffing your face and rolling over and picking up like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to eat or you're taking your kids to school and trying to cram food in your mouth. Like you just need to wait until you have the time to eat a meal kind of in peace and not in in a hectic environment. So for some people that does work to wait until 10 or 11 in the morning because maybe that's when they get a break from work or whatever it is. Sometimes it just helps reset someone's metabolism but again it it's it's all about experimentation what I try to tell my clients when they sign up with me or anybody that I help with nutrition is nutrition just like any other study of the human body is is a science like you have to have a control you have to do tests on yourself you have to figure out what works for you and what doesn't and you're only going to do that by measurable and repeatable experiments where you where you do things and you try them out and if they don't work then you 
cut them and try something else. The whole thing, too, about when you're eating, I, I recently heard that, too, about a lot of people just think, oh, it's 10 o'clock, I need to eat. So you really have to say, is this a good environment for me to eat? And so lately I've exactly. been asking myself, lately I've been putting rules on myself, like don't eat in the car. Like every once in a while I'll grab a bar and I'll like drive and eat a bar at the same time. First of all, I've been trying to reduce eating bars because I just feel like that's kind of a cop out. Like a, it, to me, it doesn't feel like it's a meal. I mean, of course they, whatever, sometimes they're delicious and that's fine. But I've been trying to reduce the amount of bars and then also not eat in the car. And then also look at, do I have time to sit and eat mindfully? And if I don't, then I'm going to wait. And that's been really helpful too, because to me, it's just not worth it to scarf food down and then have stomach issues. Yeah, I have a good story for you. I have a client who is a truck driver. Yeah. And he literally drives for a living. So he's in his truck like eight to 10 hours a day. That's all he does. And that's something where I can't say, well, you just need to change your lifestyle. If you're, if you're not seeing results and you're not able to eat in a non-stressful environment, you just need to obviously change your lifestyle. Like that's a case where just like with a lot of people who have maybe 24 hour shifts as nurses or whatever it is, you can't just tell somebody like, well, you just need to find a, a calm place to eat because they can't. So what I've told uh, my client is that when he's going to eat his meals that he pre-packs and brings with him, I want him to take an exit off the freeway and I want him to find a place where there's grass and I want him to sit down and eat his meal on the grass, not in his truck. And it's literally made such a big difference with his relationship for food because he doesn't snack in the truck anymore because he knows that he has to get off the freeway and go sit kind of in a slightly as, as nature oriented place as you can get off the freeway place where he feels calm and he feels like he can eat his food. And it's literally made like such a big difference That's for him. That's amazing. So. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think that goes along with the little like digestion monster that I told stuff. Yeah. Laura that I was like I kind of look at my digestion now as like a little person that I'm like I'm so sorry that I was like really mean to you before and now now, like I'm gonna take care of you I'm so sorry like I I love that to like make him go sit in the grass and be like I'm going to honor this food it's just such a good practice let's move on to the question Sarah that you were talking about earlier before we hit record about metabolic damage yeah, um, just kind of that everybody experiences is this idea that there's that you can damage your metabolism permanently and it can never recover, or you can damage it and then in that way it can be quote unquote repaired. Um, I definitely feel that there's a lot of misconception when it comes to that. I mean, metabolic adaptation is a real thing. Um, that's essentially where it's very common in people that do low calorie diets. And I can't tell you how many of the people that have come to me from the girls gone wild podcast, just listening to, to my episode who show me their current macros that they've been working with, with a diet coach. And they're literally eating like a thousand calories a day and they've been doing it for such a prolonged period of time. And what's crazy is that when you do that to your body, it essentially is going to lower its metabolic rate to adjust to that smaller intake of food and the, that low of a, of an intake in calories. And it will change your basal metabolic rate. Like you can change your own basal metabolic rate by not eating enough. Yeah, there was a lady that came to me that was literally like, oh, my my coach has me eating currently like 114 grams of protein, 40 grams of carbs, and like 25 grams of fat. And I'm like, so you're eating what I eat in one meal is what you're saying (laughs) in a day. Um, That's frightening. So just, and, and, and at that point, 
what happens when they start to work with somebody else that doesn't know something like that is that the person, this new person will then up their calories aggressively to like, you know, 1800 where it should be without doing a gradual kind of ramp up. And then they'll instantly just start storing body fat everywhere and they just gain weight so rapidly because your body with, with all of that caloric deficit has increased its mitochondrial efficiency. So you're burning less calories to produce the same amount of ATP because your body literally has to. You're decreasing energy expenditure. The hormones that promote like hunger and catabolism, which is like the eating of muscle, increase. So when you are in a caloric deficit for too long, your your body does what, what it only knows how to do, which is adapt. And then at that point, when you just decide, all right, I'm done with this, and you just start eating 800, 900, 1,000 more calories a day, your body is then, because it's got this lower metabolic rate, it's going to start storing that as body fat instead of you slowly ramping yourself back up. And that's why you see bikini models and people who do figure competitions, they get super, super, super lean, their first show, and then they're not taught how to kind of come out of it. And they rebound and they just gain so much weight, like more weight than they had before back. And they just go through this crazy psychology of eating. And it's really, really hard to deal with that. So metabolic adaptation is very prevalent. Uh, yeah. I'm sick of hearing that people are down to, like, 1,000 to 1,200 calories. It's just, so like... So scary. It's so scary. And the, the scariest part is that we're all kind of in the same world here of the CrossFit sphere. And when I hear someone is at that low of a caloric range, I'm like, you would probably need that if you were lying in bed doing nothing with your life. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's your BMR. And then now you're doing high-intensity work plus working a full-time job plus doing walking the dog. I mean, like, that just drives me crazy. But, yes, your body basically can go into starvation mode. And especially females, we were put on this earth, whether you believe it or not, to reproduce. And doesn't mean you have to, but that's what your body is made to do. And so your body relies on fat in order to produce a lot of your hormones and to keep yourself ready and fertile and so when you damage that like damage is a wrong word but when you starve it and when you freak it out because that's basically what you're doing you're freaking out the hormones your body's like crap the second we get food i'm storing it like yes for you i'm going to take care of this (laughs) and so just it it scares me whenever i hear that caloric caloric range because it's just not it's not enough i think the same thing too i'm like well that's my breakfast so (laughs) Yeah, I'd be a very hungry bear if I didn't eat more than that. And the only safe way to really, and again, we're not talking about like damage and reversal, but the only way, the safe way to kind of increase your metabolism at that point is to literally very slowly add calories back in weekly in such a small amount that your body doesn't, I'm not going to say doesn't notice because that's not scientific, but it, it just basically is adapting very gradually to that, that slow increase in calories. And I've been able to take a lot of these people that have come to me with this kind of metabolic adaptation where they've brought their BMR really low, I've been able to slowly raise it up to where they're able to eat 1,800, 1,900 calories a day and still burn body fat. But the worst thing that you can do is to yo-yo diet where you just completely deficit your, your calories and then you, you decide, okay, I'm going to recover now and I'm going to go like a month or two months with just eating whatever I want. And then people see even worse weight gain than if they had never dieted in the first place. And I don't, I think that's a huge problem that people have is, well, I'm just going to, I, I really messed up this weekend and Sarah, you probably see this a lot and you too, Laura, of people going, well, I really messed up. So now I'm just going to restrict and I'm going to just really yep. buckle down. 
Well, talk a little bit about sustainability and how you guys use that with your clients. And let's start with Laura. I like to use the analogy, and you guys can all play along. If you were to trip down the stairs, what would you do? Would you pick yourself back up or would you throw yourself down the rest of them? <laughs> pick myself up. Yeah, I mean, I'm I can stop there, drop them, like walk out. But that's kind of what I tell people. And they like kind of look at themselves and like smack themselves in the face. And they're like, oh my God, you're right. Because so many of us treat diet this way. And diet becomes such a negative, has a negative connotation when all it is is really just the habit of whatever you're eating or consuming to nourish yourself. And so we treat it as like an all or nothing approach. And I'm not going to curse, but basically, you know, people get a case of the efforts and as soon as they do something wrong, they then just continue doing something wrong and they can't start again until it's a Monday or the beginning of the month or beginning of the year. Where in reality, if the way I treat it all is like, okay, if you, if you eat something that you're not necessarily happy with, instead of telling yourself that you're a terrible human being and putting all this negativity around it, find the positive in it and say, okay, I had ice cream with friends. It was enjoyable. Now the next meal, I'm going to make it a really good meal and nourish myself. And if we can start using this like positive connotation around food and nourishment, I think that a lot of people will for the long term, for the sustainability of it all, have respect for their body and for the food that they consume and not have to think of it as like this negative guilt tripped uh restricting world of food i'll i'll have clients that text me the day after they went on kind of like a binge at a party or they went out to dinner and they ate a lot and they're like oh my god i overate i'm so disgusting what do i do now and i'm and i think they always expect me to be like well now you only get to eat 300 calories today but i'm literally every time like it's a new day with a little emo- like smiley face emoticon. And they're like, oh, my God. All right. <laughs> Every time, like, I, I don't know what you want me to tell you. Putting yourself in a caloric def- deficit the next day is not going to make up for what you just did. But people like, do that That's not time. how it works. People yeah. And I, and I try to try to tell them that's that's 100% not how it works and it's about consistency over time if you're really looking for results if you're just looking for a healthy lifestyle and a healthy mentality I encourage my clients when they're at a at a restaurant or at a party to literally send me a picture of the food available or a picture of the menu and just say hey what's the best option here just because I'm not educated about food I don't know calorically or or food quality what is good and what's bad on this menu can you help me and I'll kind of guide people in the right direction and that's my goal is for people to not associate going out and having fun with eating their faces off like it doesn't have to be one in the same it doesn't have to be they hold hands like if I go out to have fun with my friends I have to eat a ridiculous amount of really bad food like you can still make good choices you can still make good decisions and see it as an overall step towards your health instead of seeing it as well I'm restricting myself and my friends are going to make fun of me like okay but you're living the healthy lifestyle that you can be proud of and that's what I kind of try to encourage people to do instead of shaming themselves about it like see it as you're making a daily conscious effort to be more healthy and you know that you sitting down and eating an entire plate of fish and chips and calamari and brownie sundae to yourself is not going to make you a healthier person as really nice and yummy as it is it's fun to do that but then the guilt that accompanies it the stress that accompanies it afterwards those are just things that I try to kind of break people of in terms of the psychology of it and just being in their corner for things like that because that's yeah. really the only thing that you can do. And I think it goes really beautifully with what Laura said, too, of the emotional piece around it, right? Yeah. Like, don't eat from a place of anxiety. Don't eat from a place of sadness. Don't eat. Like, mm-hmm. are you full? 
great. Are you hungry? Great. And really focusing on those emotions and also obviously the setting that we've talked about, which has been huge. I feel like we could talk for another two hours, so we have to have this we have to have totally. this like part three, four, two, three, four, five. Just continue Always. discussion. I know. It's like, oh well, we're just gonna We didn't even get to talk about we'll talk poop. about that next time. I know. Uh. We need, like two minutes of poop talk, Laura. Go. Oh my god. I <laughs> This is your challenge. I just got a brand new puppy and it's literally pooping everywhere. So that's my life, both (laughs) like on my job and my life, but uh, totally worth it. Um, Well, I think one of the things, I don't think we should open this can of worms because it's so huge. Um, I have done a podcast on it if people are interested, but um, one of the things is like, it's okay to talk about poop. So many people that I know, I pretty much everyone I know has some type of digestive issue, whether it's up, down, all around. Uh, and we, there's such a negative connotation about it in this world and we can't talk about it. You know, women poop pink bricks. Well, no, guess what? We all eat what goes in must come out. And if it doesn't come out, then it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And so if it comes out too fast. It's also a problem. If it's just indigestion or this is a huge can of worms, but turn around before you flush down and take a good look and, and get acquainted with your poop and, and know what's normal for you and what's not normal. And yep. I don't know, get a squatty potty, man. It's, it's the best. The I have best. a friend who literally squats up on the toilet seat to go poop. I like she, get, she's she's tiny poop. though. And I tried it and I almost I like fell in the toilet and killed myself. That'd but. be weird. <laughs> Laura, yeah, this is really, I'm going to admit something so disgusting. <laughs> I use a trash can and I just prop my I was just going to say an easy hack is to use the trash can. My friend oh, is that disgusting. Styrofoam, um, old styrofoam cooler. I mean, It'd be disgusting if you pooped in the trash can. <laughs> okay, that's what I that. thought you meant. You were t- that's what I did too. I'm like, yeah, you right. poop in the trash can. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> because I heard we had someone on like a year ago that wasn't a fan of the squatty putty because she was like, "Your muscles are fine to push your poop out." Uh, no. Listen, no. okay. Everyone get a squatty potty, whether it's your trash can or a cooler or a stack of books. Believe me, it's life changing. It's the cutest yeah. thing. I was at a CrossFit gym once, and they actually had a picture of a cartoon person like using the squatty potty and why it was so beneficial. It's because like the angle, it makes your poop like come out at the right <laughs> angle, right? Is that the whole thing? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And if you haven't seen the squatty potty unicorn video, go watch it. Oh. It's that Ever. is hilarious. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So, Laura, where can we find that podcast episode? So, our podcast was called Nutrition Genius Radio. Um. I used to record it with my friend Marie. Shout out if she's listening. Um. Hi. And I can't remember what episode, but I can certainly shoot it your way. It's all about poop, and I'll probably be doing more. But I have my own blog too, and I'll probably be writing about it forever. So yes, I love it. And so yeah, my clients text me about poop all the time. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> So let's come back and have another poop discussion. And then, Laura, you can also send us that link and we'll post it. We'll make sure to post it on Girls Gone Wild podcast. Um, any any quick tips of recommendations, words of wisdom we want to end with? This certainly, this is a discussion we just need to have continued. We just need to keep going with, this, with the discussion. So um, we'll certainly have you guys on again. But any last uh, words of wisdom right now that you want, that's really passionate, you're really passionate about? 
chew your food, and don't throw yourself down the stairs. Try to de-stress and find someone that's willing to kind of work with the psychology of eating and helping you figure out what's best for you and not please people stop using automated templates. It's frightening. Oh, like the uh, online templates for macros? Yes. Like companies that provide templates that literally ask you, how much do you weigh? What's your gender? Right. And what's your last name? (laughs) And then it, there you go. There's your macros. Right. And then people just blindly follow that until they just lose half of their muscle tissue. And they're like, well, I'm really lean, but I can't even walk up the stairs. Well, here's the thing with that too. And I swear I will not make this go on for five more hours, but (laughs) this will be something else we maybe discuss the next time is that people look on Instagram and they see a beautifully chiseled body, and the person's like, I do macro canning, and they're like, well, I'm going to do macro canning, because that worked for that person, and it goes back to really listening to what each individual needs, and I really, really think it's important that they do work with a coach. Would you both agree? Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And nine times out of ten, that, like, beautiful body on Instagram was not made by counting macros. You don't know the psychology that they're going through either and what kind of a person they are in real life. So, like, any type of diet, it's like, oh, I'm going to go on paleo, I'm going to do keto, I'm going to do high carb, I'm going to do low carb, which we didn't even touch on that TED Talk, Sarah, that I was texting you. And Ugh, I got It got barf. Sarah all fi- fired up. Oh, man, and, I was so mad. <laughs> yeah, it was essentially, like, vilifying carbohydrates. She's, and I think I said yeah. it to you, Laura. She was like... Yes carbs of the devil of all she basically said that carbs cause diabetes that's what she said like unequivocally with no scientific evidence or background she just said people that eat carbs have diabetes and i was like i hate you (laughs) like that and also knocked on potatoes which made me sad because i love potatoes yeah yeah (laughs) okay so thank you guys both so much for having this important discussion i think uh i've I've learned so much from the both of you. I cannot thank you enough. And so I'm so excited for us to continue this discussion for our listeners, too. Um, I'm going to have links to everyone on the podcast, on our website, and on our Facebook, and all of our social media, so our listeners can find you. And then I also want to plug that Sarah is now, you are taking more clients, correct? Yes, I am. So what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? I have a new email address that's slightly shorter and easier to type out now. It's called, uh, it's a lift this, eat that at gmail.com. And that's the name of my nutrition business. So lift this, eat that at gmail.com. Lift this, eat that. And if you guys have any issues or confusion around the emails, just shoot us a message at girlsgonewad at gmail.com and we'll put you in touch with Sarah. Laura, anything you want to pimp? Yeah, um, we have a discount code going for you guys. GGW at InsideTracker.com. Plug that in and you're going to get a nice discount code for um, our testing. And certainly they can contact me directly too. My email's not easy. It's LTLigos at InsideTracker.com. But if you can remember that, then (laughs) email email away. uh, Or you can find me at the Sassy Dietitian everywhere and gladly message me on any social media site and I'll get back to you and help you get signed up. Yeah, Laura is the the Sassy Dietitian on Instagram and also social media. And as always, you guys out there listening, can contact us and we will put you in touch with these two wonderful women and we're so grateful for inside tracker that's just been such a huge thing for me just to get that data and of course working with sarah she gosh sometimes i feel neurotic uh texting her with my questions and same with you laura too 
I love learning about my body and how I work, and I think the biggest thing for this whole journey is patience. And compassion. And and compassion, yes. Listeners, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Remember to support our sponsor, Wadrod, W-O-D-R-O-D, the discount is ggw find us on instagram facebook please 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 pretty please leave us a review on itunes give us a five-star review give us some feedback it takes like two seconds to do that and it helps us a ton so we love to grow this community and that helps us tremendously so thank you guys who've already done that we will see you next week thank you so much guys for being on the show bye bye bye